Welcome to Always On Mission, evangelizing in challenging times. I'm Rosemary Maffey. And I'm Tom Lyman. We're coming to you from the Archdiocese of Boston. We hope to bring you some joy and encouragement during this challenging time. And we'll do that by profiling a great saint who has had either the call to evangelize or the call to conversion in a challenging time, and then by interviewing people locally or nationally who are indeed evangelizing during these challenging times. Well, welcome back, Tom, and welcome back to you faithful listeners. We want to remind you to please subscribe so that you know when the next episode comes out. If you're listening to us on Apple, please rate us. Give us a high rating if you enjoy this time together. And finally, we want to hear from you. What are you doing to evangelize and to continue the mission? Share with us on social media. Use the hashtag alwaysonmission and tag us. Our handle is RCAB underscore evangelize. Well, happy Memorial Day, Tom. What did you do to and celebrate? To you, Rosemary. Thanks, Tom. Well, you know, um, every year at this time, uh, I like to visit the graves of my family who are buried here uh, in Brockton, where I live, Brockton, Massachusetts. But in particular, there's someone I like to remember on this day who was my father's uncle who died in World War II. He was one of three Swedish-American young men who died from their local church. And the local uh, church still has a memorial in front of it. Uh, that was built in memory of those three men. Now, my uncle Carl Lyman is actually buried in Belgium in the uh, Henri Chapelle American Cemetery outside Liège. And I was actually able to visit that about seven years ago. So I, I like to recall that and pray for the repose of his soul and, uh, and all those like him, because believe it or not, I mean, there were 7,000 other uh, men buried only in that one cemetery. Wow. And uh, it was an extraordinary experience to go there. What a great family legacy to really honor, Tom. Yeah. Now, how about yourself? Well, in Boston, every year, there's typically a beautiful garden of flags. They put out 37,000 flags in the Boston Common to honor the fallen soldiers ever since the Revolutionary War. And it's just such a beautiful sight and really makes you call to mind giving thanks for them and their great courage. But this year, of course, we couldn't do that. So we were encouraged to put flags on our window and use the hashtag Heroes Flag Garden. And they had a virtual ceremony calling out all those names that we have lost. That's extraordinary, Rosemary. Yeah. So Tom, not only is it Memorial Day, but it's actually the last week of Easter. But boy, were we given some joyful news during this last week of Easter. We were told that in phase one of the reopening in Massachusetts, that places of worship would be included in that. How exciting is that? This was wonderful, wonderful news that we've all been long awaiting. And so uh, we were excited that some parishes have been able to open for this uh, for mass for this very first weekend. But most are expected to open next weekend for the celebration of Pentecost. So exciting. So, Tom, who are our guests for today? So today we're going to talk to Father Brian O'Hanlon and Father Tim Hines, who are both priests in the Archdiocese of Boston, parish priests who volunteered to serve on what's called the COVID ministry team, coming to minister the sacraments, uh, last rites, anointing of the sick, to uh, patients who are sick in the hospital with COVID-19. And tell us, who is our saint for today, Rosemary? So, Tom, we're shaking things up a bit, and I'm actually going to share the saint for today. So she has said, by blood, I'm an Albanian, by citizenship, an Indian, by faith, I am a Catholic nun. As to my calling, I belong to the world. As to my heart, 
It belongs entirely to the heart of Jesus. And of course, I'm talking about St. Teresa of Calcutta, whom we affectionately call Mother Teresa. Tom, I was amazed a few years ago at my niece's confirmation. St. Teresa was the most common name chosen. And I was marveling at how these teenagers know her as this canonized saint of the church. And when I was their age, I knew her as someone who was known around the world for the beautiful call to holiness she lived out and for her care to the poor. And I remember being their age on a retreat in high school when I heard the news about her passing away. You must remember where you were. I do. And that was fall 1997. And at the time I was in college and had an internship with CBS 12 in Providence, Rhode Island, WPRI. And we had gone actually to interview Father Benedict Groeschel, who many know very well, the founder of the CFRs in New York. And we interviewed him on his reaction, but I was able to chat with him on the side. And he told me that he felt one day uh, Mother Teresa would be known almost like a Teresa of Avila, one of the great mystics of the church. So the thing I love about Mother Teresa, Tom, is that until I knew of her, the saints, I, I certainly loved them. I prayed to them and I tried to imitate their lives but they felt so distant, but she made holiness accessible because she was the first person that I knew about her when she was living, living out the call. And it just made holiness so much more accessible to me. So I really celebrate her, honor her. And I know many of us know a lot about her. So I'd really like to share a few lessons I've learned from her life. Wonderful. Give us a bit of a background about her, Rosemary. Sure. Well, Mother Teresa was born in August 26 of 1910 in Skopje, which was part of the Ottoman Empire. It's now part of North Macedonia. And at the age of 18, she desired to become a missionary. So she actually joined the Institute of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which we know as Sisters of Loretto in Ireland. She received the name Sister Mary Teresa after St. Therese of Lisieux. That's my confirmation saint. And in 1929, she departed for Calcutta, and she actually started off teaching and serving as a principal eventually at St. Mary's School for Girls. She was known for her profound prayer and deep love for her students and fellow religious sisters. Years later, she responded to a call within a call. I'm going to get more into that when I talk about the lessons I've really learned from her. But that call within a call led her to found the missionaries of charity that we know so well today. And they serve the poorest of the poor. So in 1948, she left the gates of her beloved Loretto convent to begin to live among the poor. She started each day receiving Jesus in the Eucharist and then bringing him out to those she served. Month after month, her former students desired to join her. It was so beautiful. And in 1950, the congregation was officially established in Calcutta. In the early 1960s, Mother Teresa began to send sisters to other parts of India. And in 1965, Pope Paul VI encouraged her to open a house in Venezuela. Eventually, Tom, they were in every continent. So awesome. She eventually wanted to respond to the physical and spiritual needs of the poor. So she also founded the Missionaries of Charity Brothers, the Missionaries of Charity Fathers, and some groups for lay people to live out her beautiful charisms. She became known on the world stage and received countless awards, notably the Nobel Peace Prize in 1979. 
in nine, jumping ahead to nineteen seven to nineteen ninety seven, rather before she passed on, her sisters numbered nearly four thousand members and were established in six hundred and ten foundations in one hundred and twenty three countries in the world. Just so amazing. So she passed on in 1997, September 5th, and we talked about where we were at that moment. So Tom, only within two years of her death, because of her widespread like, recognition of her holiness, Pope John Paul II opened her cause for canonization only two years after her death. So amazing. She was actually beatified by him in 2003 and canonized by Pope Francis in 2016. Now, Rosemary, what were some of the lessons that you've taken from Mother Teresa's life? Well, the first is her beautiful desire to continuously discern. Here she was. She had become a nun, living that beautiful vocation out. And she actually felt a call within a call. And I remember when I read about this, I was amazed and wanted to learn more. So in September of 1946, when she was riding on a train from Calcutta on her way to an annual retreat, she felt an inspiration from the Lord. She felt Jesus' thirst for the love of souls that took her over. And she felt called by Jesus Christ to establish a religious community, which became the Missionaries of Charity, dedicated to the service of the poorest of the poor. And it took nearly two years of testing out that discernment before it came to be. But how beautiful is that, Tom? And a really great lesson that we might think, oh, we've discovered our vocation, we're living out our call. But it's really a continuous process, isn't it? Yeah, it really is extraordinary how the Lord can take different events in our lives or take one part of our vocation and deepen it, uh, bring us to a new place, you know, and this is really the joy of the the Christian walk with the Lord, you know. Tell us more um, about kind of her courage and holy daring. Yeah, so this is pretty cool. So Mother Teresa said, as missionaries, we must be fearless in doing the things he did, courageously going through danger and death with him and for him. That is so amazing. And you could really see how brave and courageous we wa she was, but because she was rooted in him, that allowed her to bravely go off and found this beautiful order. That allowed her to, on the world scene, bravely speak about the dignity of human life. And I remember one fun story. <laughs> I thought it was a fun story of her. She was talking with a potential donor and he kind of said he didn't have anything to give. And she said, well, why don't we stop and pray about it? And after that prayer, he then realized that, yes, I do have a call and an ability to support you in your mission. I just think that's another beautiful example of how her reliance on him allowed her to bravely go out and live the mission. That's really extraordinary. And uh, she was famously skilled at that, at, uh, you know, uh, prayerfully inviting someone to gener generously contribute to the wonderful ministry she was doing. What's the third lesson, Rosemary? Joy. She, her life was marked by joy. And this is a phrase that I reference all the time. She said, joy is a net of love by which you can catch souls. And don't you think, Tom, that's a cool way of summarizing evangelization, essentially? It is. It is. She also said, joy is indeed the fruit of the Holy Spirit and a characteristic mark of the kingdom of God, for God is joy. 
And so, Tom, I was shocked to find out years after her death about the kind of dark night of the soul that she experienced. It came to be revealed that her interior life was marked by deep and painful and abiding feeling of being separated from God, even rejected by him. And this is, was a remarkable shock for me to learn because her ministry was marked by joy. This interior dark night of the soul she was experiencing didn't hold her back from bringing the joy and love of Christ to every single person she encountered. What a beautiful lesson. Yeah, it really is an extraordinary testament to her faith as well, that despite this unbelievable feeling of separation and, and kind of absence of God, that that she persevered. She did not give up her belief in God and not only maintained her faith, she lived it fuller than almost anybody else. So, I mean, just an extraordinary testament to her faith in what God would still do through her, despite her, her, her sort of lack of an obvious sense or physical sense or sentiment that God was there, you know? What a cool model for us. It is. Now tell us, uh, what is the fourth lesson you've taken from Mother Teresa? So the fourth and final lesson of many, but just highlighting a few, is to be rooted in Christ. He is the source of our inspiration as we attempt to be always on mission. And she famously talked about how she and the sisters were not social workers, but rather they brought Christ to each person they served. They found Christ in everyone they served. And I love this. So whenever I meditate upon the first two joyful mysteries, the Annunciation and the Visitation, I often think of a lesson from Mother Teresa. So she talked about how Mary received Jesus in the Annunciation and then went in haste to bring him to Elizabeth. We, so too, can receive Jesus in the Eucharist and then go out and bring him to others. And she said, here's a quote from her, when the sisters are exhausted, up to their eyes in work, when all seems to go awry, they spend an hour in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. This practice has never failed to bear fruit. They experience peace and strength. So she surrendered completely to him, even if she felt like she says a ship without a compass because she knew she was rooted in him. So beautiful. Just extraordinary, Rosemary. Would you close us in a prayer now? Yeah. And one final thought, Tom, we might think, well, these are great lessons, but my life looks very different than that of Mother Teresa. Mm. But Mother Teresa herself encouraged us to live these things out in our own circumstance and our own vocation. She calls us to find fidelity in the small things. It's there that we will find the presence of God and that'll lead us to Christ. And I remember she also said that serving the poor starts at home, starts in our own families. Mm -hmm. So we can apply these beautiful lessons of following our call within the call, living in courage and the sense of holy daring, staying rooted in the joy of, of being rooted in Christ in our own circumstances. How cool is that? Well, it really is. I mean, it uh, reminds me a lot of uh, St. Teresa's little way. For sure. So Tom, I'm gonna close with a prayer that was one of her favorites radiating Christ. And it's actually by Cardinal John Henry Newman. Hmm. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Jesus, help us to spread your fragrance everywhere we go. Flood our souls with your spirit and life. 
penetrate and possess our whole being so utterly that our lives may only be a radiance of yours. Shine through us and be so in us that every soul we come in contact with may feel your presence in our souls. Let them look up and see no longer us, but only Jesus. Stay with us, and then we shall begin to shine as you shine, so to shine as to be a light to others. The light, O oh Jesus, will be all from you. None of it will be ours. It will be you shining on others through us. Let us thus praise you in the way you love best, by shining on those around us. Let us preach you without preaching, not by words, but by example, by the catching force, the sympathetic influence of what we do, the evident fullness of the love our hearts bear for you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Rosemary. And stay with us now. We'll be coming back with our guests, Father Brian O'Hanlon and Father Tim Hines, who, like Mother Teresa, discerned a call within a call, within their call to priestly ministry, they have been called now to serve in specially dedicated ministry to COVID-19 patients here in the Archdiocese of Boston. Stay with us. And welcome back to Always On Mission, Evangelizing in Challenging Times. I'm Tom Lyman, and once again, I have with me Rosemary Maffey. And we are joined today by Father Tim Hines, Father Brian O'Hanlon. Uh, fathers, would you tell us a little bit about uh, where you're from, your current assignments, and how long you've been ordained? Well, I'll go first. I actually grew up in Northern Virginia in the D.C. area. And uh, after I graduated from college, I went to college in Pennsylvania, I got a job up in the Boston area, decided to take it and moved up here. So I was working in Bedford and I worked for about five years before I decided to enter the seminary and I ended up entering for the Archdiocese of Boston here. So I was ordained a year and a day ago and I am assigned to Sacred Heart and St. Mary's in Lynn, however, temporarily, of course, doing this COVID ministry. Well, congratulations on your, your anniversary of ordination at Multos Anos. Gracias, Tibiago. So I, uh, I grew up actually in New Hampshire. My, my family's from this area. Uh, my mother grew up in Lawrence. Uh, my father grew up in Billerica. And I actually had the, the great grace to be baptized at St. Patrick's in, in Lawrence, where I celebrated my first Mass uh, a year ago today, actually. So Father O'Hanlon and I are, are classmates, as uh, I'm sure you know. Congratulations to you too, Father. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's really been an honor and, and a privilege. I've been assigned to St. Mary's in Foxborough, which has been really a really wonderful experience. Those, you know, almost, been almost a year since I've been there. Although, uh, you know, the last few weeks, as Father Hanlon mentioned, had uh, the opportunity to minister to COVID patients uh, or COVID residents uh, in the, sort of the North Shore region. Wonderful. So fathers, I was so moved to hear about this dedicated COVID ministry team. Tell us more about how that works. They uh, made an announcement that they were thinking about doing that and were looking for, uh, for volunteers to, who would be able to, to 
kind of set some time aside to do this. Um, I think the whole thing started because different regions and uh, hospital chaplaincies were looking about how they were going to handle the increased lockdown with visitors. I know in our uh, area, we cover my home, my parishes where I'm assigned, cover Salem Hospital. And so the first thought was, we're going to take all of the priests above a certain age off the rotation. And then it became the hospital really wanted just the chaplain who was there to be the one who was on call. And if there was an emergency and he couldn't make it, then they would call one of the other priests. And the archdiocese, I think, was hearing about this in a lot of different places and said, you know what, we're going to set aside priests who are able to live separately so they can quarantine uh, and not affect others and we'll set them up in uh, rectories uh, that maybe were not being used or not, uh, you know, didn't, could be emptied out quickly so that we could be set aside to do this. So they set up seven teams uh, that started as soon as they were able to move in and gave our phone numbers information out, you know, set up Google voice numbers and things like that so that they could reach out to us and we could respond to the calls in the areas that we're covering. So like Father Hines said, uh, we're covering the north region of the Archdiocese. So it's kind of a, a triangle from Winchester up to Burlington and then out to Gloucester. And do you still maintain some of the ministry you were doing at the parish level? It, it depends on what the parish was doing. I think so. Um, I, I know my parishes were doing a lot of online things like having mass transmitted and those things they were always doing from the parish church and we can't go to those. So I haven't been able to do things like that. But there are other things like talking to parishioners, emailing, you know, kind of remote spiritual direction and things like that, that we were able to keep uh, doing even in this time. Yeah, the same, uh, the same would be true for me. Um, you know, I've been doing some marriage prep over, uh, you know, over the, the different video conferencing uh, tools that are available to us. You know, there was a men's group that I was, I was scheduled to speak at uh, last week. You know, obviously I couldn't, uh, we couldn't be there in person. And then uh, another live stream mass you know, that I had been requested to, to say for, for some people. So, I'll, you know, like, like most parishes uh, where they've moved their in-person uh, ministries online, we're very much able to continue to do those kind of things. So like Father O'Hanlon mentioned, you know, continued co- correspondence with parishioners over uh, the phone or over email, uh, and certainly now uh, with much greater frequency over Zoom or some kind of other video conferencing. How beautiful for both you and for the community you've been serving that you've been able to maintain some of that ministry. So talk to us a little bit now about what it's like to be living in isolation from the community you happen, you had been serving. It's a little strange, uh, certainly now for me, maybe it's a little stranger for me, actually, because I'm only uh, like four miles from where I would normally be in my parishes in, here in Linfield uh, rather than in Lynn. But it's, it's kind of odd, you know, you, you get a call or someone wants to talk about something and you think, oh, okay, well, we can meet in the parish offices. And, you know, we already had a system set up for confessions and kind of distance talking with people, meeting with people. And then like, oh, no, no, can't do that. So, you know, you kind of get into the rhythm of, uh, of setting these things up. But it's, it's odd not to be, I mean, we are in a way attached to a parish, a geographical area. And we are given the the care of the souls in that area and to not be there is uh, is peculiar. It's kind of goes against what, uh, in a way, what we were um, ordained to do. Although of course, obviously we were ordained to do this too that we're doing now. So, and thanks be to God, there are ways that we are able to connect with the people still, even in this, in this isolation. Yeah. For, for me, uh, you know, we've, uh, like many parishes, we've set up uh, mailing lists that we've been able to, to communicate with our parishioners that way every week. So while, well, that that's kind of one directional. Um, it does give 
at least, uh, so my parish was very happy in a sense to know that I was able to go and minister to these kinds of, uh, of people during this time, you know, especially since, you know, like most parishes, uh, you know, we have a certain elderly population who themselves could potentially find themselves in those kinds of situations. So they're really grateful to know uh, that there are priests in the archdiocese who are doing this. And so they're very happy to, to support us in whatever way they, they possibly can. I've been really kind of, uh, I've been very thankful for the, the many cards and um, kind of well wishes that my parishioners have, have sent out to, to me here. And uh, it's been really wonderful to be able to share this ministry with them by, you know, writing a, a sort of a short blurb uh, for our weekly mailing and, and kind of inviting them into that. Because for, for me, very much uh, the ministry that we're doing here is supported by the prayers of, uh, of our parishioners. So what we do is done uh, by the graces that they, that they win for us, that they help, uh, help us in this ministry. Yeah, and I, I should say, since I'm a bit closer to, uh, to our uh, parishioners too, I'm very grateful for the lasagna and the... Uh, <laughs> Uh, decorations and things that people have dropped off. So, <laughs> yes. And both both needs, both the the spiritual and the physical, uh, are very important for uh, our faithful out there, our listeners, to remember that they can indeed participate in what you are doing by offering their prayers. And um, so, thank you both for those reminders. You know, in many ways, what you are doing is akin to the frontline soldier. I mean, you are marching directly into battle. I mean, I often think of the guys. You know, you know as the gates lower off the duck boats, you know, running onto the beaches of Normandy, like this is in a spiritual sense, what you are doing, you know, everybody, every night on the news, we hear about how, how difficult and tough this disease is. And you are literally going to people who are sick with it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about some, some of the more profound experiences you've had in the course of your COVID ministry? Well, for me, one of the most profound really is that uh, there was a uh, nun who had contracted uh, the disease um, and she was older and she had had a lot of health issues in the past. And so I anointed her a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago, and uh, uh, then continued to uh, minister in here. And finally, she uh, they thought she was close to death. So they called me back and I did the full last rites with uh, absolution and the apostolic pardon, the prayers for the dying, uh, anointed her again. The community, of course, you know, couldn't really be around her when they were doing this, but uh, they kept distance and the other sisters stood in the hall outside listening and saying the responses to the prayers. And it was just so beautiful to see to see that because it's it's been very rare um although i got a call this morning where this did happen but it's been very rare that we've had other family or people around when giving last rice to people we've done a lot but it's rare because of the visitation policies and their concerns about this disease to have other people present and so to have the community even though they weren't you know too close still able to hear everything and it was just incredibly moving and then the sister did pass away uh early morning after I anointed her. So uh, we'll pray for Sister Miriam of the Danvers Carmel and, uh, and all the souls of all the people whom we've, uh, whom we've anointed. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's been a real grace to be able to, to get into some of these nursing homes that are really not allowing visitors or, or you know, the hospitals as well for many of these patients, certainly the ones that, that are alert. And, uh, you know, there, there's a number of them that are indeed alert. We might be the only visitor that they've had in, in weeks, maybe months, actually. So, you know, for some of them that, we, that we're able to talk to them even a, even a little bit, the short, short time that we're there with them, uh, you know, it kind of is, is a great grace. You know, for me, just, 
just to be able to offer the sacrament, right? It, it used to be very common for people to pray that they not suffer a, a, an unprepared or an unforeseen death, right? And so I think that a lot of the ministry that we're doing to these patients are, are probably to, to men and women who've prayed this prayer throughout their life. Uh, you know, so I would encourage you know, any of your listeners to, to uh, you know, look up this kind of prayer. You know, there's a number of variations for it, but um, you know, to, to make that maybe part of their daily prayers. Because to receive these sacraments to, at the end of, of one's life is uh, you know, it's a huge grace. You know, it's a, it's a, a means by which our, our Lord gives us help to, to suffer well uh, the last sufferings that we have. And so really to, to be present for those, those people at that moment has, uh, for me, been really, uh, really incredible. What a blessing for these individuals to have you bring them the sacraments. But I imagine for both of you, fathers, that this is a real joy for you as well. We hear it said that when a priest puts on vestments heat before mass, he puts on Christ in a sense. Speak to us a little bit about the experience of putting on all that protective gear before then going in to bring Jesus to these people. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, you know you're used to uh, to vesting for any of these things, going to a nursing home or something like that. You always put a stole on and have your books and everything like that. But there is a uh, process here, and each place is different too with what they want you to wear and how you uh, you know how you're putting it all together and like where you put your gloves on, where you put the gown on, how you take them off, how you dispose of everything. So it is a, it is an interesting thing. I mean, we're often going in there. People can't see that we're priests once we're gowned up. You know, they can't see the collar, they can't see the stole, even though we have them on under everything. So you become aware of, of the fact that, uh, that your priesthood is, uh, is something that's so deep and a real a mark on our, on our souls. And that that's what's important. So, you know, we always go into the room and say, I'm a Catholic priest and I'm here to uh, anoint you, to bring you to Jesus. And uh, it's, it's, it's very, it's, you know, it gives you kind of an interior awareness. Um, not that the clothes make the man, but uh, here, you know, where, uh, where you, you know, people don't necessarily know that you're a priest. So it's kind of, uh, you have to let them know what's, what's going on and what, uh, what you're really there to do. So. Yeah, I mean, I would pretty much just uh, echo what, what Father O'Hanlon has, has said. Yeah, and, and in a sense, maybe the hardest, hardest thing about some of that is just sort of, you know, you present yourself to so like, what, what would you like me to do? Right. Cause as you know, as father Hanlon mentioned that not everywhere, uh, requires or expects the same kinds of things. And, you know, the procedures vary so greatly from one facility to the next is we're not always certain what we ought to, to bring with us to prepare. So we bring a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sometimes that might not be necessary. I've showed up at a facility, you know, wearing gloves, uh, you know, face masks and things like that. And, uh, you know, they've asked me to, to wear their gloves and their face masks. So a kind of docility, I think, is, is kind of required uh, for those kind of things. But to be honest with you, it's an easy docility to take on because, uh, you know, it's, it's by those means that they're allowing us into these facilities so that we can bring our Lord, you know, through, through the sacraments to these people. Yeah, I, um, it, I mean, part of the thing, since we're talking about evangelization, is that the, being dressed like a priest is a means of evangelization. And, you know, before I would go into a hospital and people would say, oh, hello, Father, and people's families would be around and, you know, ask if maybe you can go into someone else's room and talk to them. And 
So here, you know, they don't necessarily know what's going on, but I know one of my first calls was to Winchester Hospital and they were wonderful there, wonderful. Every time I went, very, very good. And so they were, you know, they were very serious about getting gowned up and everything like that. So I went up to uh, the nurse's station and they were there putting everything on me for me. It was very, you know, um, Saint, our blessed Lord said to St. Peter, someday you will go uh, where you do not wish to go and uh, someone else will clothe you. And uh, so it is kind of that uh, biblical experience in a way. Um, but the nurses and everyone there who knew who I was were just incredibly grateful and thanking me. And of course, I was thanking them for all the work that they were doing and the fact that they're around us all the time. And they're saying, no, thank you, Father. Thank you. It's so wonderful to have you in. So uh, thanks be to God. You know, we've been able, even with everything, mm-hmm. to have an impact. How would either of you say this has affected your priesthood? I, I think for me, one of the things is simply being around sort of death and suffering so much really helps, well, it helps with prayer. It helps you refocus what's really important. And that is, um, that is really the, the way that Christ came into the world. He took on our bodies. He took on a human body, a human soul. And uh, we have access to, to him through the sacraments, through this material, this material reality. But the reality is also that one day our immaterial souls will be separated from our material bodies and we will be judged based on you know, how our love, as St. John of the Cross says. And uh, it really helps to refocus that we are here to guide people toward eternal life, that, that everything we see, everything we experience here is not the ultimate goal. It's not, it's not going to make us happy. And it, it really helps to refocus. The point of prayer is to be united to God, to, be, to unite our wills. Prayer is always oriented at, at our salvation. It unites us to God and it's rooted in hope. And our ministry is really bringing people, people hope that they will have eternal life, that they will come to possess the eternal vision of the most holy trinity of our blessed Lord Jesus Christ and all the angels and saints in heaven. So it's, it's profoundly, you know, refocusing, I guess, on what really matters. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Father Hanlon said it so well, and it's almost hard to add sometimes, but what I would suppose that has struck me is, um, is when we were first uh, proposed this idea uh, of going and, and joining these COVID teams, it was, it was almost not even a question, right? It was, it was sort of like, yes, of course, of, of course I'll do that. Right. I mean, this is the reason for why we're ordained is to be with people in their, in their joys and in their sufferings. Right. You know, it's said that the, the priest will sometimes celebrate a, a funeral in the morning, a baptism in the afternoon and uh, you know, a wedding in the evening or something like that. And so, you know, he, he's, he's with people for these different joyous and, and difficult occasions uh, in their lives. And so, I mean, I mean, it almost sounds, it's hard to call it joyful in a sense uh, to go and to minister to these people, but it is, it, it is a great privilege really to be with them in those moments. It's a really, it's a great honor to be able to, to minister to them in, in that way. And um you know, it's really in celebrating the sacraments that I certainly most great, greatly f- experience the sacrament of my of the of ordination. As we had mentioned earlier, just yesterday we celebrated our first year anniversary uh, of the priesthood, and uh, you know, just throughout the entire day, just this great grace, uh, feeling of thanksgiving for having received uh, the priesthood uh, you know, at the hands of, of Cardinal Sean. Um, you know, I was, I was graced to be able to celebrate mass for the, for the, uh, Carmelite sisters yesterday morning. And they were so kind to us, you know, they, they, they set out the, you know, they always set out the, the prayers, uh, of the mass, uh, and, uh, you know, they set out the mass of, uh, the ordination of the priest. 
and uh, they uh, asked us to, you know, to, to say the mass for specifically for, you know, for our priesthoods. And it was just, it was a very, a really beautiful experience. Um, but it, that's true for all of it, right? It's, it's true for, you know, celebrating the, the sacrament of confession, uh, the mass of anointing, baptisms, all of these things. Because uh, it's really there that uh, we place ourselves at the service of Christ or the service of these people. And I think joy is the right word because joy is really knowing that someone you love has something that is good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're called to love everyone we encounter, uh, and especially as priests, those to whom we minister, you know, we're supposed to greet them with love. We're really supposed to desire what is good for them. And the sacraments are, you know, making Christ present. And so to have contact with people, to be able to go into these facilities that often don't let people go in so that they can have the goodness of being in union with Christ is a great joy. There's great joy there. And we know that in this life, joy is always mixed with sorrow. And we see, uh, we have sorrow, which is seeing someone we love not having what, uh, what is good for them. And we see them losing their health, losing their, their sort of control, their grasp, their relation to the rest of, of the world um, when they're close to death, especially. But, uh, but we do have that joy of knowing that we are able to bring, uh, to bring Christ to them to bring them the good things that really truly matter. So it is, it is very, very joy-filled. Just very succinctly, what does it mean to each of you to always be on mission, even in these challenging times? Well, I think it's uh, it, always to be on mission is to be always united to, to God, um, to be always doing his will, because it's really his grace, his, his work that allows us to do anything. And so when we were here in the house, because uh, we're not really going out um, unless we're called, you know, here in the house, we're called to pray, to spend time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, to, uh, to do spiritual reading, to study, because those things are really what allow Christ to work through us. Of course, when we go visit people from the sacraments, they are, um, you know, we're working something, Christ is working through us, but our ability to be able to unite ourselves to, uh, uh, to our Lord, um, and for him to unite it, uh, us to him, really, to go out, to be on mission. That's what it's all about. It's about holiness, about doing God's will. That's, I guess that last part is really the succinct part. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's, if I was to add anything, I suppose it would it'd sort of be that. It's just sort of, it's, it's the quick prayer that you say when you, you have any kind of encounter or, you know, Lord, what, what do you want me to do here? What is, what, what are you asking me to do in this moment? And this moment right now might, you know, well, today in this moment, it's, uh, you know, to, to, to share a little bit of our mission on this podcast. Afterwards, it might be to spend some time with him, uh, you know, hidden uh, in the tabernacle that we, in, our, in our little chapel here, you know, it might be some recreation at, at some point. Uh, you know, it might be, you know, a phone call that we get in, in all of those moments. Uh, I, it, it, and as Father Hanlon was mentioning earlier in the podcast, one of the great graces for us to be able to wear clerics out in public is that it, it sort of says, I'm here, I'm a priest. How can I, how can I help you, right? How, how can I be Christ for you? Uh, you know, and that can happen in the supermarket. It can happen wherever, wherever you end up being. And, um, and that same kind of joy is just a natural experience from that. Uh, so it's, it's to place yourself, I guess, to always be a mission for me would be to place yourself at the service of Christ in each and every moment in which you find yourself. And fathers, uh, if someone is uh, in need of anointing or if someone knows of a relative that needs anointing at this time and doesn't, isn't able to reach the parish or whatever, how should they contact you folks? 
Yeah, uh, probably the easiest thing for them would just simply be to call the archdiocesan number set up specifically for these requests. That number is uh, 888-732-7050. Uh, there are also, uh, I think, um, email addresses, and, and I'm sure you can find more information on the archdiocesan website. But again, probably the easiest thing would be to, to, to call that number. And can you give us the number one more time? Absolutely. Yeah, the number is 888 888- 732-7050. And when you call that number, they should be able to direct that to a priest nearby who's able to respond. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Thank you both for this extraordinary witness of your priesthood, your, um, your COVID ministry, but above all, your relationship with the Lord. I mean, it's really extraordinary and inspiring to hear how uh, he is guiding you both in this time, and you have shared a real piece of yourselves and pieces of your heart um, in this chat conversation. So thank you for that. Um, Father Rohan, would you close us with a prayer? Absolutely. Blessed Mother and St. Joseph, you presented our Lord Jesus Christ in the temple. Present us now to our Heavenly Father so that we may be formed by the Holy Spirit in the image and likeness of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that we may always do his will in all things. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father O'Hanlon, and thank you, Father Hines, for being with us today. Rosemary and I would like to thank all of our listeners for being with us as well. And we'd like to remind you to subscribe to the podcast, whether on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Spotify, or your RSS feed. Please do rate us on Apple. And if you are evangelizing in these challenging times, please post about it and use the hashtag alwaysonmission and tag the handle at RCAB underscore evangelize. And so we thank you all for being with us. And may God bless all of you.